Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. I am so excited to be here bringing the word, and my word today is about the word, which is the most exciting word to bring, the fact that the word of God is true, that it's living that it's active, that we can trust it. It's ultimately trustworthy. And I have so much to say about that, and I can't wait to get there. But for those of you I don't know, my name's Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so grateful uh, that you're here with us today and that I get an opportunity to enjoy this Labor Day weekend with you. And you didn't go to some lake house far, far away on this Labor Day like everybody else on that front row did. (laughs) And that front row, and that front row, and that front row, but not Andy Brazelton. He's here with us, go Braves. Come on now. We're going to start our series. He didn't even look up. Did you see that? He didn't even look up. The Braves are on a roll, though, and I like that shirt. Uh, We're going to start a series called Truth. This series is going to be about how the Bible is true, and we're going to dig into that for several weeks. But this week, I'm just going to set that up and introduce this concept, which really comes from our value of biblical teaching. One of our core values, if you haven't been here long or you haven't heard us talk about it, is biblical teaching. And we say that that is actually our number one core value. The other four, we have five, so the other four, they could be arranged in kind of any order, but we gotta get the first one right, biblical teaching. Here's here's what you can depend on at Chestnut Mountain Church. Anytime you come through the doors, we are thinking about opening the word of God because we value biblical teaching. And today I want to tell you why. That's that's my whole responsibility today is to tell you why we value biblical teaching. The Bible made up of 66 books, 40 plus different authors spanning over 1500 years, surviving countless attacks, transforming millions of lives. This is what we're talking about. This word of God, Isaiah 40 chapter 8, the grass Isaiah 40, verse 8. I'm talking about the Bible. i got to get the details right about the Bible. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I was reading a story about the French philosopher Voltaire very well-known philosopher, very well-known in his opposition towards Christianity. And before he died, he had this strong quote. Just days before he died, he was with a group, and he he said to the group, a hundred years from my death, the Bible will be merely a museum piece. It will fall out of place and be useless for the world we live in. Mark my words, Voltaire said. Now, Voltaire had written 
over 20,000 letters and over 2,000 books and pamphlets and he owned printing presses and he was producing resources constantly and, and the vast majority of his work was actually in opposition to Christianity and the Bible. He had built an, a significant career and a name for himself. People loved Voltaire, especially in France. And when he died, the, the French deemed him a national treasure decided to put many of his belongings up for auction and give an opportunity for people to, to purchase what he owned. And so from all over the world, people came to, to see all of these belongings of Voltaire. Two of the things that were up for auction were his, his houses in Paris and his house in Geneva. And his Geneva home was purchased by a man named Henri Tronken, who was from a wealthy family who was very close with Voltaire. They, his family was close. His great, great, great grandfather was actually Voltaire's doctor. So they are very close. And the Tronken family, they weren't, they weren't religious either. But Henri came to faith later in life and was radically transformed by the gospel and eventually became one of the founders of the Evangelical Society of Geneva. And part of the Evangelical Society of Geneva's vision was to produce and distribute Bibles. So in the very home, in Voltaire's Geneva home, the founder and president of the Evangelical Society of Geneva was quite literally storing hundreds of Bibles and evangelical resources right under the same roof. Meanwhile, in France, it just gets better. In France, there were printing presses that, were, that, that Voltaire owned that then were purchased by a Bible society there. <laughs> and so for years and decades, this Bible society printed and distributed Bibles on the very same printing press that the man who said the Bible would be a mere museum piece just not long before that this Bible wouldn't matter at all. But now God is using the very tools that this man had in order to accomplish his purposes. Seventy years after Voltaire's death, there was a reverend named Charles G. Summers who addressed the American and Foreign Bible Society to speak about the advances of the Bible around the world and especially in France. And I love what he said. There's some big words, so just keep tracking with me. This is what he said. Voltaire boasted that he had seen the twilight of Christianity and that the darkness of an endless night would soon cover it forever. Yes, sir, he did see the twilight, but he was mistaken as to the hour of the day. It was twilight of the morning, pouring its effulgence over the brim of the horizon of the 19th century, which he mistook for the rays of a setting sun. Of all the writing that Voltaire did, of all the reading that Voltaire did, I can't help but think that maybe he did not read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Three reasons we value biblical teaching. 
You ready for these three reasons today? Number one, the Bible is God's word. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Number two, God's word is truth. It's not just true. It is truth. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And then finally, number three, God's word is alive. We'll spend most of our time unpacking that truth that God's word is alive. Number one, the Bible is God's word. Look at 2 Timothy 3.16 with me. It'll be on the screen. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is God breathed. A better translation is God breathed because it's a compound word that the apostle Paul invented for this. It's the only time we see it in the New Testament. The, the, all scripture is God breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. These aren't just words on a page. This is God's breath on a page. This is not an object that God breathed on. This is words that God himself breathed out. God breathed. I just want you to think about this for a moment and, and think about what happens when almighty God breathes. What happens when the creator of heaven and earth, the sustainer of life, breathes? And consider how that should affect the way that we come to the very word of God daily. The, the fact that we, we hold the sovereign exhalings of Almighty God, that we don't come to a book, but we know that Scripture is God-breathed. What happens when God, God breathes? We see in Genesis 2, 7, how God made man from the dust of the earth, dust of the earth and, and breathed what? Breathed life into his nostrils. Breathed life, the, the breath of life, and made man become a living creature. In, in Job chapter 33, verse 4, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath, the breath of the Almighty gives me life. In Ezekiel 37, we see this, this prophetic picture that God gave the prophet Ezekiel in, in, in the valley of dry bones. And, and, and Ezekiel's eyes are open in this vision to see a valley full of dry bones, dry, dead, desolate. And, and the Spirit of God is, is prophesying to Ezekiel so that he can prophesy to the people about God's people that God will breathe life into his people. And, and God the, says, Prophesy over these dry bones, Ezekiel. Prophesy over these dry bones that they may live, that they may breathe, that the Spirit of God can breathe life into these dry bones. And there it happens in his vision. And this is a, a picture of Israel, God's chosen people. What happens when God breathes? Life happens. And, and the Bible is, is breath. On a page, number two, God's word is truth. 
God's word is truth, the only source of truth, the, the, the divine truth. The, 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 the world has been combating against this reality for years and years and years with great force, attempting to water it down, attempting to, to make it so watered down until nothing remains, attempting to just make it a little more gray here, a little more gray there, and are you sure that's what he said? Are you sure that's what he said? Remember, the enemy Satan in the Garden of Eden was the first one to say, are you sure that God really said? We're surrounded by a culture that's doing the same today, but it, would, it comforts me greatly to know that this is not the first time that the word of God has been under attack. We're under great pressure to compromise the truth. It's important that we know what the word of God says, and it's important that we know that it is truth. Psalm 119, 160, just really quickly here, I'm gonna have like five verses, and they're gonna be rapid fire, so you don't have to try to flip there. Maybe just write them down for later study. Psalm 119, 160, all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Proverbs 30, verse five, every word of God proves True. Titus 1.20 reminds us that God never lies. Hebrews 6.18 declares that it is impossible for God to lie. John 17 verse 17 says, sanctify them. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Not, not the adjective true. Jesus uses the noun truth. God's word is not simply true, it is truth. In other words, it doesn't conform. It doesn't compare to something else and then you can decide whether or not which one's true. It doesn't conform to a higher standard of truth. It is the highest standard of truth. Everything conforms to it. If I had a yardstick up here, I would not say to you, the yardstick is three feet because the distance from my knee to my toes is three feet. I measure the distance from my knee to my toes based on the yardstick because we know that the measurements that we have defined are accurately portrayed on the yardstick, not my leg. The Bible defines what is true. We are measured against it, not the other way around. And so often in this day, we get this twisted. It's important that we come to it knowing that God breathed it and that it is truth, that, that we don't come to it expecting it to fit. We come to it fitting in and measuring according, accordingly. God has spoken the truth, and he put it in this word. God's word is truth. Number three, this is where we'll spend the rest of our time together. God's word is alive. God's word is alive. Let's unpack Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. This is a very well-known part of scripture. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, living, alive, and active, energetic. <laughs> this is, it's, it, it's, by nature, it is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, sharp so that it can pierce to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints, and of marrow, and, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, piercing. We're going to leave that up just for a little while longer so that we can dig deeply into this verse right here. Sharp so that it can pierce the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, penetrating through and through the whole inner being to its most inner depths, discerning the difference between soul and spirit, cutting through joints and marrow. There are many hearts in this room this morning that are difficult to get to. There are hearts in this room that are hardened by life, circumstance, pain. Fill in, fill in the gaps. I, you know your story. I, I know that there are hearts in this room that are difficult to penetrate. And the beautiful thing about the Bible is when we come to it and we open up ourselves and surrender to, to allow it to penetrate. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. This is how God has designed it. Like there, there is no, Charles Spurgeon said, there is no blunt side to this sword. It's sharp all the way through. It, it's sharp all around. Wherever it hits, it is sharp. The revelation of God is edge, sharp edge. All over. Sharp to pierce the division of soul and of spirit of joint and marrow. And, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Not, not just the thoughts, but the intentions. We, we see in the word elsewhere where Jesus knew what people were thinking in, in the crowds. And when they were around him, he would, he would tell them what they were about to ask before they asked it. He would answer the question that they wanted to ask before they even asked it because he knew their thoughts. But a step deeper than that is the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and discerns not only the thoughts, but the intentions of the heart. In other words, there's nowhere to hide from God's word. Even your desire, your intention, what you think you might do, the word discerns. This is why we proclaim the word of God every week. This is why we value biblical teaching because we need light to shine on the dark places that we're trying to hide. We need the, the sword of the spirit, the word of God to penetrate through even the hardest of places so that light can shine in it and, and the darkness will be overcome. I hear people say often, maybe you've heard it, when the preacher preaches something that just speaks directly to you. And they, oh, preacher, you've been reading my mail. 
you know. You must have been reading my mail. No, that's a federal offense. I have not been doing that. (laughs) You must have been reading my mail. It's the Spirit of God who carries the living and active Word of God into your heart. It's not me. It's not Pastor Brian. Certainly not Pastor Brandon. You know what I'm saying? I'm, this man. I'm messing with you. I love him. It's the Spirit of God. This is what he does. This is by design. The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit reveals and illuminates the truth of God's Word Straight to the heart of believers. Look at John 14, verse 26. But the helper, these are the words of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Two responsibilities of the Holy Spirit, according to John 14, to teach all things and to remind you of all that Jesus has spoken. The beautiful thing about studying the Bible, if you're a Christian, is the Spirit of God is never absent from the Word of God. And the greatest proof that God's Word is alive is found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You remember John 1. When the Apostle John wrote some some really confusing language on the surface, if you think about it. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. So that's the same word in the original language that we just read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, logos. But here it's capitalized and it's personified. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. (laughs) And in him, verse four, was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Here we see the incarnate word, Jesus, son of the Son of God, who came and took on flesh. God incarnate. <laughs> and it, The same word was used in Hebrews 4, but it was a phrase in Hebrews 4, word of God. Here in John 1, it's personified as the person of Jesus. So we see that God's word incarnate is inseparably linked to God's word inspired. The inspired God-breathed word of God and the incarnate, sinless, perfect word of God that was there in the beginning 
they're joined together. God has joined them together because Jesus is alive. The word becomes living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Here's the implication. If you leave Christ out of it, then you've left out its power. You will not have Christ without the word and you will not have the word without Christ. If we leave Christ out of scripture, we leave out the essential truth that it is meant to declare. The whole Bible points to Jesus. John 14, six, Jesus tells us, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The, the incarnate word affirmed that the inspired word is true. That, that it's true and that Jesus is the only way. This is important to understand because this is foundational for why we teach the Bible. Why we value biblical teaching because our eternal destiny rests on what we do with God's word. Romans 10 verse 17, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith. Faith is the only way. Faith in Jesus is the only way. And faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ, what will you do with what you've heard today? What will you do? What will we do when we come to the word of God? What will we do with what we hear? I wonder if you're here today and maybe you've been here for weeks and the word of God has been piercing you and you didn't. You didn't know what, what was happening, or maybe you didn't really like it. You're getting tired of it. Like, ow, <laughs> that hurts. Stop. Maybe you've experienced that piercing that we're talking about. Or maybe today your heart's being pierced for the first time. I want to urge you to respond today. I want to urge you to not leave this place without repenting of your sin and believing the gospel of Jesus. He accomplished what we could not by dying a sinless death on the cross and rising again on the third day, having life breathed back into his lungs because he really was dead. He had to die in order that sin, death, and hell might be destroyed when he rose, he was victorious forevermore. And he rose and ascended to the Father where he is today, seated at the right hand of God. And by faith, when we trust in him and his finished work, we can rise with him as well. We can have life breathed into our lungs as well. That's why we're here. Faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. After you've heard and after it's penetrated your heart, Will you respond? It's a story about Charles Spurgeon at, at age 23. He was preparing to speak at this really big venue called the Crystal Palace in England. And as he was 
preparing to speak. He was so nervous. And back then, they didn't have microphones. Back then, they actually measured the preacher's chests to see if they were going to be able to really produce enough volume, you know. In other words, I wouldn't have had a prayer, you know. Some of y'all, though, some of y'all can belt, you know. You, Charles Spurgeon had a, a big chest, and he wanted to go test the acoustics in this massive auditorium. So he goes the night before, 23-year-old Charles Spurgeon, and he begins to, to look around, and he's nervous. 23,000 people are going to be here tomorrow. 23,000. He stands on the stage and he looks out and no one's there that he can see. And he just starts saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He tries it again. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away sins of the world. Three times he said it. Then he walked off stage, sleeps that night, gets up the next day, preaches to 23,654 people. Very few responded in faith that night. Very few. He was discouraged. 23-year-old Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, as they call him, was discouraged. Several years later, there was a man on his deathbed not too far down the road. And this man had been a custodian on the night when Charles Spurgeon had tested his vocal cords at the Crystal Palace. And he went home that night convicted of his sin and called on the name of Jesus to forgive him of his sin and, and save him. Spurgeon had no idea that this happened. He had no idea that anybody was in there at all, but this custodian on his deathbed, when he recounted the story of his conversion and how it was a result of God prompting Charles Spurgeon to say one single verse of Scripture. And this custodian told the doctors, if you could get word to this preacher, if you could just encourage him, his labor was not in vain. I just thought, glory be to God that my man, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, did not choose to say, Mike, check one, two, one, two. <laughs> but behold, the Lamb of God who takes away sins of the world. Praise be to God for the power of his word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Some commentators say it, it punishes as a warrior's sword and it heals as a surgeon's knife. I love this picture that, that it, it punishes it, and a lot of times it hurts. But it's also healing 
like the surgeon's knife. The surgeon's knife can hurt, but it also heals. What will you do with the word? What will you do? Because here's the danger. Here's what I'm afraid of in our contemporary society that we live in and the way that we see Christianity and the way that we do church. What I'm afraid of is that we're already educated well beyond our willingness to obey. This Bible is not here just simply to educate us. It's to propel us into life obediently. And the more we know it, the more fully we will be able to obey. But that begins, honestly, each day with coming to the surgeon's table and laying your soul bare before him. Allowing the word to do its work. It's living. It's active. It's able to pierce deeply. It's able to discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Will you lay yourself before the sword of the spirit today? The word of God. In 1994, the news reported a 63-year-old man who needed bladder surgery But this 63-year-old man was scared to death of doctors and hospitals. I get it, man. I get it. He's terrified. He knew what he needed. He knew that he needed to have bladder surgery, but he didn't want to go in and get under the knife. And so he decided to perform the surgery himself. This was reported in the news in 1994. He did the surgery. It seemed like it went okay, even though it hurt. (laughs) You see those movies where they like have a piece of wood and a towel and they're just biting on it. And I'm like, that does not help. You know, that's my picture. He's got the heart and, and he's just digging into his, where's your bladder? I don't, this, uh, I'll learn before next time. I will. Did the surgery himself, seemed to be okay, stitched himself up, didn't quite stitch it up well enough. And he got infected, later died. The coroner said in the paper, unfortunately, his drastic remedy went wrong. And a simple operation would have solved the problem but he just couldn't bring himself to put himself on the surgeon's table. He, he just couldn't get over his fear of laying his soul bare before the surgeon. He just, he wasn't willing to allow the true surgeon to do the work. Here's my encouragement to you as you Pick up the living, breathing word of God. You don't, you, don't, you don't come to it and tell the surgeon where to cut. That you don't lay on the table before him under general anesthesia and lift your head up and say, oh God, actually, I would rather you do it this way. but that we just surrender on the surgeon's table today. Come before him.
asking him to do his work. You don't make a plan for the surgeon. The surgeon knows. Come and surrender. His kindness, his kindness will lead you to repentance. Sword is sharp, but it's healing. I don't know where you are today, but I believe that as you come to him in faith, I believe that he will do what he promises he will do, that that he will... He will shine light into dark places. That he will bring life into dry things. And I believe that by faith, you will rise. I don't know what you're going through. Part of the beauty of teaching the Bible every week is I don't have to know what you're going through. Pastor Brian doesn't have to know what you're going through. It would be a lot easier Maybe if we did, but here's the reality. I don't know all the answers anyway. He does. And so we just keep pointing you back here. And the riches, the truth of this word are inexhaustible. Would you come before it today and open up your soul? Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.